0: You know that moment at the airport where you have to state your occupation? And I'm wondering, can I write writer and then put a question mark at the end?
1: (laughs) John Cleese, Rebel Wilson, Ronnie Chiang, Sean McAuliffe, Arne Doe. All entertainers, and they all have one thing in common.
2: They all have at least one N in their names.
1: Yes, and they all have law degrees
2: much more interesting.
1: So what is it with lawyers going into the entertainment industry? Today we meet a couple of lawyers turned entertainers. I'm Isabel Mellis Taberner.
2: I'm James Patterson. We are not those entertainers. And this is Life After Law School.
1: guests today are comedian tess birch and screenwriter nick musgrove welcome to you both tess we have planted a label on you and nick comedian and screenwriter respectively how would you describe who you are and what you do I would probably describe myself as a lawyer slash comedian
3: because I am still working as a lawyer, um, but definitely in the last few years, comedy has become a big part of my identity and what I do day to day. I've almost done 100 gigs this year, so amazing!
1: it's definitely happening. So at one point you can swap and instead of being lawyer slash comedian, you can be comedian slash lawyer.
3: Yes, I would say that's the goal, except my work keep asking me if that's the goal and I have to be <laughs> coy about it.
1: We'll cut this bit out. <laughs> um, Nick, what about you? How would you describe who you are?
0: It's a vexed question. Um, you know that moment at the airport where you have to state your occupation and I'm wondering, can I write writer and then put a question mark at the end? <laughs> um, but no, I am committed to calling myself um, and. and Perhaps, or even in danger of being a, uh, a writer for uh, mostly for film and television.
2: Mm. I'd love to see that on your, on your business card or on your declaration. Yeah, all of that.
0: Yeah. yeah. In danger
2: of being. Are you carrying dangerous goods? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. This pen. <laughs> potential, raw potential.
1: <laughs> I will write a story about you. you look out.
2: <laughs> so, we're really interested in hearing your origin stories today. You know, you, you both started studying law. You both completed your law degrees. There's not going to be any bombshells here. That, that you <laughs> That's a Mike Ross
3: situation. <laughs>
2: a few close
0: calls along the way,
2: <laughs> and um, and you both practice law. So we'd love to hear about um, your your early career days, but also then how you've gone to these just weird and wonderful career paths. But we might start actually, Nick, with you. What did your first year out of uni look like?
0: It was a deferred. Uh, year. So I was lucky enough to have a, um, an offer to start my graduate year at Minter Ellison, um, which I received uh, the offer in 2008 um, when I was in Prato, which was wonderful, uh, and a lovely way to finish my law degree, uh, where I also met my wife, fun fact, um, and then um, deferred to write a television show for Channel 31 um, on community TV um, and thought uh, because I aspired to be a writer, this would be the the moment to uh, prove to myself and to the world that that's something I could do. And so I did it and then accepted my placement at Minter Ellison uh, (laughs) when the show came and went um, and commenced uh, in 2010 um, and practised well, did three rotations through the graduate course at Ellison, which was a wonderful place to work and had a really amazing graduate group that um, many of whom are still very dear friends.
2: One of them appears on um, Life After Law School. Fun this fact. So but you'll have
0: to go back through the catalogue to find <laughs> out who. <laughs> Thank you. You
2: Thank must you work so in entertainment.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, so, so working in that field, like being a writer, sounds like something that you always wanted to
0: do, was it? Yeah, absolutely. So I... I um, Fell in love with writing at school where I was lucky enough to write some very bad but very enjoyable, uh, for my part, uh, school plays Mm -hmm. um, and then wrote through uni um, uh, through the Monash Law Reviews um, and through Monash Student Theatre and met a uh, a group of um, like-minded friends and colleagues um, who formed a sketch comedy group with me um, when we left university after the Law Reviews. Um, and so by the time I was um, at Minters, there was a bit of an internal tension going on as to the trajectory of my future that I was wrestling with, both um, in terms of perhaps belief as to what I might be able to do, but also like what the best choice would be um, as to whether it would be um, life in the law or, or beyond its um, very safe and prestigious sort of um, bounds, which, um, which was a tough call, uh, but one that I slowly sort of edged out towards And um, in 2012 took the plunge after um, two years at Minters uh, and they were really supportive of that as well. They were a a really um, accommodating place to work. They were aware of my aspirations as a writer and really supported them and um, were excited for me when I said that that's something I wanted to go and try and do. Um, And so, yeah, so two years there and then they were even kind enough to welcome me back on occasion to do contract work as I was finding my feet and finding my way as a writer. And then um, it wasn't until 2015 that I got um, sort of, I suppose, a big break writing for a, um, a sketch comedy show um, full time for a year and that was the moment where I dared to let my practicing certificate lapse and um, have a look back <laughs> I suppose. I'd love
2: to hear about some of the projects that you've worked on and some of your um, creative endeavors since then um, and it sounds like a, a wonderful supportive workplace that you had um, which mightn't be everyone's experience but it sounds like something Tess you're currently experiencing with your career.
3: Yeah, for sure. So I uh, finished at Monash at the end of 2016 and got a graduate job at Ashurst. I started in 2017 as a grad there and I'm still working there now. Um, it's a great place to work. Absolutely love it. They're very supportive of me doing comedy as well. During the comedy festival, I work part time, um, so half days or, or take annual leave a lot of people from the firm will come to my shows as well, um, not just during the festival but also um, just ones that occur, kind of normal ones that happen during the week. So at, at this point in time, no plans to stop being a lawyer but definitely plans to um, continue with the comedy. I guess in terms of how I got into it, it wasn't actually something that had even really occurred to me as an option until until I was at Ashurst, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of a podcast called The Moth, which is a storytelling um, podcast based on live storytelling events. And it was in my last year at uni that I went along just as a spectator to a moth um, event in Melbourne at the Howler in Brunswick and they didn't have enough storytellers to kind of get through the show and so I ended up putting my name in the hat, got up and told a story, had a real sort of rush from the experience of it. It was a very sort of silly, funny story and just started going back and doing um, The Moth shows as much as I could. And the host of The Moth in Melbourne is Cal Wilson, who is a very amazing comedian, Australian. She's from New Zealand but uh, based in Australia now. And um, I got chatting to Cal and she actually – suggested, oh, have you ever thought about trying stand-up? And I had it had never occurred to me that that was even something that you could just start doing. And so from there, I just figured out where there were open mics in the area and how to kind of go along and just have a crack. And that was at the start of 2018. And yeah, haven't looked
1: back. What was the first stand-up like? How did you feel? Was it terrifying?
3: The first one I did, which was probably a bit naive of me but it was in the comedy competition that the comedy festival runs called Raw Mm -hmm. and that was my first show and it's actually an amazing first gig because there's about 100 people there and they're all really supportive and they know that everyone's really new so they're like really fired up for it. So it was actually my first set was great and then I think the week after that I went to some dungeon basement on Smith Street (laughs) where there was like three people and they hated me. So um, yeah it's the highs and lows.
2: How does one start comedy?
3: Yes, that's a good question. Um, I think, first of all, you need to have some jokes. Um, So (laughs) I think a lot of people think that it's all quite spontaneous, just happening in the moment on stage. And certainly there are people that can do that and have those really great crowd work interactions. But for the most part, most things are pretty planned and people have actually written jokes and thought about how they're going to deliver it. So um, I tend to tell people just, you know, you, you need four or five minutes um, of something and then you just need to figure out where you can do it and there's plenty of places around where really anyone off the street can walk in, sign up and get up on stage uh, and you kind of just have to go from from there. So it very it was very different to my law career because I feel like um, starting law was a very formal process of applying for clerkships and then getting into a grad position and then settling in a practice area. Um, And you really have people uh, telling you sort of what to do and how to do it, whereas with comedy, um, and I'm sure Nick can probably attest to this as well, um, there's no no set path for you. You've just got to figure it out.
0: Would that there was a path. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's if all there was though, You probably yeah. wouldn't take it oh, anyway. Oh no,
0: I'm allergic to parties. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah.
1: You've got the machete and you're making your way through the forest. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's kind of wonderful though—the antithesis of comedy and law. That the way that they balance each other out. Um, do you feel like your legal skills and um, everything you learned at law school is in any way informing your careers in entertainment?
0: Yeah, um, I think quite directly for me um, in in entertainment, there's actually a heap of contracts. So in a literal sense, um, every time you work with an actor, you'll need a release form. Every time you um, license music, you need to do that properly. But um, probably more recently, significantly, when um, my production company does deals with typically like larger production companies or networks, you need to contemplate the million different things that might happen if the show gets up, gets made, gets licensed, gets sold. Um, and having the basic literacy that comes with having studied contract and practice law, um, it gives you a tremendous sense of confidence to go, right, okay, I can read this. I'm going to read this. I'm going to interrogate this. What I have to uh, say about this um, is informed by quite a lot of um, study and experience. And sometimes it might just be that you know enough to know that you're not an expert and you need to go and get a media lawyer. Uh, But it's very edifying how often... and how readily, yeah, it does. It does come up um, in entertainment for me. So, yeah, it's been um, really rewarding to have that that background.
3: Yeah, I think it's definitely been valuable. Obviously, just for that sort of business side of things, I've signed a few divorce papers at the back of Comedy Kicks and that sort of thing.
2: Great material. Um, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. But I think just as well, um, I think in law school it definitely teaches you about writing and writing well and the importance of language and the precision of language and really that's kind of what comedy stand-up comedy is it's knowing the exact right words to craft that joke or set the scene and so I think that um, aspect of it has definitely been useful and also I think just the the side of um, being in law school that does encourage you to start being able to present in front of groups and I mean not everyone becomes a barrister but obviously there's sort of links there as well Um, and even just being able to sort of memorise volumes of information sort of for that three and a half hour closed book exam is very handy when you have to remember an hour's worth of your own jokes for a show.
1: Do you feel like the um, sometimes combative nature of law has made it easier to deal with either hecklers or rejection or any of those sorts of things?
0: Projection. I could write a piece of song, so I'll jump in. Uh, yeah, like I, I mean, yeah. There's sort of two ways in which it's um, combative. There is, yeah, the constant process of pitching ideas, receiving feedback in a context where very few ideas get up. Very few, um, even like a you know a really well established writer, only a very small fraction of their work gets seen on television. So there is that constant back and forth, and it's quite argumentative and adversarial in terms of how you present ideas. So um, especially in America where it's outrageously good fun because it's all very show busy, um, you need to convince somebody in the room with the 15 minutes you have why your show is the most important show at this very moment and why you're the person to tell it. And it it truly is like almost a um, Socratic process that is very much like grounded in what you learn in law school where it's like, I'm here to tell you why this is the most important thing you'll make this year and why it has to be me to tell this story and why if you don't tell this story, um, it's a huge opportunity missed. Um, And of course, um, in America, they sit there, they say, I love it. It's brilliant. It's great. We're going to do it. And then you never hear from them again. But (laughs) it was a really good, uh, it it is a really fun process. And one that I've probably just clocked this very second was very much one that um, law school prepared Mm. me for. You and Tess
2: both wear lots of different hats. And in fact, you're wearing them today, which is very funny visually. (laughs) But um, I want to get a a sense of the sorts of projects, creative projects that you've worked on.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, the the big opportunity I got was on a, um, a sketch show for Foxtel, um, and it was it was really incredible because of who was in it. So um, it was it combined some sort of new voices, both in front of and behind camera, but also like some legends of comedy. So this show had like. All in one room on day one. Gina Riley, Jane Turner, Glenn Robbins, Stephen Curry, Shane Jacobson, wow. um, and I could barely breathe um, for most <laughs> of that time. Um, and uh, the show the show didn't run forever. Like it, it had it had a year. It was effectively like boot camp comedy training for me, writing every day, living living the dream as I'd pictured it. Um, but what it did was just being around those people who are very generous, kind, giving people in terms of um, what they've. Learned over the years. Being around that for a year was like it gave me the belief, but also gave me the um, the training. Um, there was a day very early on, which I'll never forget, where Glenn Robbins called me into his office, um, and I'm like, "Oh my god, it's Russell Coyton. I'm in a room, with him and there's no one else here. What am I going to do?" Um, and he actually, and I'm like, "Why has he called me in?" And he'd actually just called me in because he's like, "I just wanted like I'm getting around to everybody and talking to them about like." comedy and like what makes you tick and and what you know you need to do next and he sort of in part of this is where he says like i can see you like you you know you're, you're a pretty good like cover artist like you can do different kinds of sketches or different kinds of tone just like so your journey might be to find your own tone rather than playing covers you yeah. know your whole um career and yeah it was a really beautiful experience and so that um yeah gave me enough validation to go right okay i'm gonna really keep pushing here and and give it a go. Um, And I was also sort of under the illusion that every year would be full-time employment um, and shows would run forever. And So uh, it was probably in hindsight fortunate that I didn't know that that wasn't the case. But um, the next year I was um, lucky enough to be in a production company uh, on a one-year placement through Screen Australia and then I got to meet an amazing um, Indigenous storyteller by the name of Bury Monty Pryor who's a children's laureate and an amazing storyteller educator, um, actor, performer, writer, um, and I had the um, very distinct honour of writing his life story um, for the ABC on a show called Ron Kind of Black. Uh, which we did over several years, um, and it ended up on on Netflix, which was which was wonderful. And yes. we're still
1: a nomination.
0: Mm. It, it did get some nominations. Um, I
2: um... love how
1: humble you are mm. right now. <laughs> Sell it. Yeah, That's yes. right. <laughs>
2: you're back in Australia. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> pretending <stayed> in US. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you all the uh, all the awards it <laughs> won. Um, uh, but no, it got an international Emmy nomination, which Amazing. was, a, was wow. a big thrill. Huge. Um, and, and yeah open opened doors subsequently in my career as well so um, yeah it was beautiful it's still it's still on Netflix and it, it's um, I recommend it not because I was lucky enough to co-write it but because it's a beautiful true story and a very inspiring one one of the things is very important for all Australians um, that sheds a lot of light into what's happening right now in terms of indigenous issues in this country and so but it's also very funny because he's a very funny man so yeah I, I do recommend that one on, on Netflix
1: Tess what about you highlights from your comedy career so far? Definitely performing in the
3: Melbourne International Comedy Festival is a highlight. It's always such a fun time of year. There's just so much happening and you can see sort of multiple shows every day and I think seeing other people's shows is so inspiring and I often find that the time I'm writing the most is kind of during that time and after that time because it just really, um, I don't know, invigorates me. Um, I've also performed over um, in the Adelaide Fringe Festival, which was really fun, and um, often for my Ashurst job, I go over to WA for, for work. I'm a native title lawyer, so there's lots of stuff happening over over on the West Coast and tend to perform over in Perth as well when I go over there, and there's a great comedy scene over in Perth. But I think um, the thing with stand-up comedy is Every show is just completely different. Like it just, you never know who's in the audience, who else is going to be on the lineup, um, how, how it's all going to play out. So... Yeah, definitely highlights are just the the little things that happen week to week and getting to meet uh, different comics who, you know, you've maybe idolised for years and seen them on TV performing in the gala or on different panel shows, different comedy shows, and then all of a sudden you're um, opening for them. I got to open for Jamoan a couple of years ago and recently have been um, performing on shows quite a bit with um, people like Dave O'Neill, who's really fantastic. I mean, that's just very exciting you have to sort of i think what you're saying before nick like remember to breathe and not fan not fangirl <laughs> yeah, too much over tempting. them be like be professional
2: <laughs> how yeah. about how about bombing like mm. i want to know yeah, your horror Light. stories
3: <laughs> yeah. i did a gig at an rsl in Werribee that was like a full-on pokies venue on the highway. That's enough, like yeah. that's already- <laughs> And You they- were up against <laughs> alarm
0: bells. In fairness to you, yeah. That's and I'm lot. seeing red
3: flags. <laughs> At the time I was pretty inexperienced so I didn't have much range in my jokes and lots of them were about being a lawyer or growing up in Brighton and I didn't really have, I've got the ability now to just scrap all that and go very general in my jokes if I need to. Um, and they just were not having a bar of it. I think I basically got um, a combination of just sort of completely blank expressions, slash, people just started talking. So, yeah. Um. How, do
2: you, how do you go at right reading the room? You know, do you get it? Are you noticing as your experience goes on, you know, 100 gigs this year, mm. a difference between gig one and gig 100 in terms of you enter a room? And your your spidey senses are telling you <laughs> yeah. that it's on or it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: You can get a real feel from how people are reacting to if there's been people on before you, and you're listening mm. to that, or even just doing a quick sort of visual of the audience. Like, are they are they older? Are they younger? Do they look like they're sort of more, I don't know, north side kind of hipster vibe, or are they more like young professionals, or are they working like tradespeople that sort of thing? So, uh, I'm
0: interested in your thoughts on this. Someone described to me why. Friday night is the craziest night in stand-up or, or theatre. They said normally, like, like it's all about the dynamics of, of the crowd and who got there. And Friday night, everyone's m- mostly worked a full week, probably raced to get there, mm. possibly meeting people, and one person's angry at the other person for being late or for not getting to the right seats or, or for not getting a drink in time and there, had, there wasn't a time, you know, to, to settle in or eat it so they're hungry. So the first half of a Friday, notoriously bad. But if there's an interval, everybody settles, everybody realizes the weekend, everybody like has it a, a drink or a meal and goes, okay, I'm relaxed. And typically the second half of a Friday is unreal. Wow. I'm like, I, so I always, when I, whenever I go to the theatre, I like, like to try and gauge that. And I've often noticed that like very astute playwrights put their gold save it for just after interval. Uh-huh. Like, like, they'll burn it in the first half. Uh-huh. It's not a luxury you have when you have one set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you <need> to, <laughs> you've got to, got to get it. up
1: and be like, I know some of you are furious <laughs> right now. Yeah,
0: yeah if you'd <laughs> but like it's to it's not time, about me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I want to know, going way back, like close your eyes, think about the times in the law building, think about, you know, going to get coffee from the den, which was a truly horrific place. But anyway, um... What was your favourite subject at law school? And maybe a favourite lecturer, maybe a least favourite subject and lecturer, and we can cut out <laughs> that <laughs> section. Nick, and favourite subject, contracts?
0: Contracts uh, contracts <laughs> taught me how difficult this degree was going to be. <laughs> it was the wake-up call I sorely needed um, and yeah, it was mind-bending. Um, I've decided my favourite subject was, uh, I'm not sure what it would be called now, but it's the ethics The mandatory Mm. ethics. Yeah, lawyers' uh, ethics. uh, Lawyers' ethics Mm. because that was the one time that the, like, Empirical type A genius struggled. <laughs> oh,
1: we love to see it. We yeah. love to see they're it.
0: waltzing through HDs and an average of ninety, and it gets to ethics. But they're sociopaths; and they don't know what to do.
3: For empathy. One, what is empathy? Yeah,
0: for one hour what? of every week, I was an e- I was their equal. <laughs> but I also, yes, I found it philosophically interesting. <laughs> I
2: said, "You've just given me a flashback." I remember sitting in lawyers' ethics early on, like a Thursday or Friday morning and sit next to a guy who has looked at me and he goes, oh, I'm just here to make money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a red flag
2: in an ethics <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, Like wow. Write, down,
1: write yeah. down this name, look yeah. for it in the paper. Yeah, he'll Later be the CEO of, of a, <laughs> yeah. CEO of a bank or a bank. is interesting. Um, least favourite subject?
0: I think... Property, because if Oh,
1: my God. Property yeah. is... Every time we have up? someone yeah, on this the podcast, property is either the stumbling block yeah. or, like, the hurdle that someone, like, <laughs> leaps over. People either love it or hate it. Like, no one's in the middle yeah. on... Yeah. But it
0: was just so... Um, Intangible, ironically, for something that primarily deals with land. <laughs> yeah. um, it really, um, yeah, but it was probably the most important. I can see why you are taught it probably in second year or first year, depending on the nature of the course, but.
2: Or whether you <laughs> fail it. Yes, or <laughs> the second and third. How many times
0: one does property? Uh, but it, it opens that whole idea up of abstract thinking. Um, which, mm. yeah, was painful but useful, mm. <laughs> very mm. useful.
3: Tess, favourite subject? I think my favourite subject was an elective called Public Policy and Regulation and the reason for that is we had a class where one we had a guest lecturer and I think it was Ari Freiberg and he brought in a giant chocolate cake and he put it on the table and he said, divide the cake and that was it and then our whole class was spent... Implementing these public policy theories, we'd been learning to figure out how we should divide this chocolate cake, kind of fairly, I guess. Um, and it was like, who's gonna who's gonna do the cutting? What do we do if the pieces aren't all the same? What do we do if some people aren't in class today or if they don't like cake? And it went on. It went for an hour and a half, uh, oh, <laughs> figuring out how to cut strange. this cake. Um, I also like liked Crim because I had Jonathan Clough and he is just the funniest person and he would just I think I had a whole document um, instead of it being notes it was just funny things that he said (laughs) in the lecture.
2: Was it Simpsons quotes? I'm sure it would be Simpsons (laughs) references. Probably
3: some yeah but it just really I feel like that really helps bring it bring it all to life. Anything you like dreaded going to any classes you didn't like? Probably equity because I was Mm. like I just have no idea what this is what they're even talking (laughs) about like there was ever a subject where it's just like you've just got to get the vibe I think that was probably equity. I also didn't love, love property either, which is ironic given now I'm sort of a native title and planning and environment lawyer. So it's
1: sort of funny how that works out. I, I would love to know, was your um, interest in comedy ever a problem when you were at law school?
0: There was an occasion where I and my fellow law review comedians came perilously close and quite rightly uh, to being expelled. Um, from this beautiful law school. Um, So what happened was we, there was a tradition of um, speaking before lectures about uh, the upcoming comedy review, just to let people know where it was and when it was and come along. And um, I think a tradition had evolved that little sketches would get played out before the lecture um, in that nice clean five minutes, you know, where announcements are made. Um, And it was decided, not by me, in fairness to me, that what we would do is stage a mock fight in which somebody was to get up seemingly unrelated to the Law Review and make an announcement about something and someone else was to start heckling them and that heckle would evolve into a, a funny fight that would look quite comedic and slapstick and silly and everybody would go, what a, what a charming and delightful little skip this was. <laughs> Let us see more uh, at the Law Review. And so... Um, it was actually my business partner got up and um, made the announcement and he deliberately, he's a very good actor, he's done a lot of TV acting, um, struck, like, presented as extremely nervous straight away. So he's like, oh, hi, everybody. Um, I just wanted to make a quick announcement about um, some of the policies at, uh, and we had planted the rest of the cast in the audience as hecklers, right? So someone's like, shut up! We don't want to hear about it! He's like, oh, no, no, I'll just be, I'll just be a, a second. I just wanted to say that. And then we would planted counter-hecklers... <laughs> to go, give him a chance, what he's saying matters. Like, and so everybody started to get quite tense, not that we realised yet. And then um, uh, a friend of mine who's now a very good criminal barrister, um, it was his role to initiate the fight. So he stood up and he goes, I've had just about enough of this. And he goes up to do a fake hit of, um, of Nick Russell, my business partner. And just the, the coming together of like them being very good physical performers and the angles and lack of line of sight, it dead set looked like he got up and put a fist straight through his face and knocked him over and everybody was horrified. And before we could reveal that this was all a prank gone wrong, um, a mature age student in a leather jacket with a fearsome-looking ponytail sprung up from the second row, leaped over a chair, grabbed the guy, uh, grabbed my friend uh, who had done the hitting and put him up against a wall... (laughs) And, oh my and, God. Uh, and my friend was, mate, it's fine, it's fine, it's all fine. He's like, it's not fine, that's <laughs> never okay. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and so um, the performer who was on the ground picked himself up. We dusted ourselves off. We established that this wasn't a real fight. There was this awful, like, complete silence. And then my friend said, if you think that was funny, come <laughs> along to see the law review. <laughs> and then we all left the room. Um, uh, they were in hysterics. I was deeply worried, as is my wont in life. Um, and we returned to our lair in the law basement, um, long made rest. Uh, and I said, guys, do you reckon that was potentially problematic? Do you think we should go and speak to the very lovely lecturer? who just watched what he thought was an all-in brawl happening in his (laughs) class. And the other guys went, no, I think it'd be all right. Everyone knew it was a joke. I'm like, I reckon we should go talk to him. Um, And they're like, okay, we'll we'll go and have a chat. I'm sure it's fine, but, you know, just in case we'll smooth it over. So we knock on his door um, and... We open it and we see he's in an absolute crisis meeting with several other lectures. <laughs> part oh. crisis meeting, part like psychology session about what had just happened. I said, Oh, I can just hear from the Monash Law Review. We just wanted to talk about what happened. He's like, You may enter. And I'm like, Oh, this is, that's a, <laughs> that is a terrible negative.
1: opening. Yeah. Line. <laughs> and I
0: went to reach for the seat on the other side of the desk and he goes, You can stand. I'm like, okay, we're <laughs> in big, big trouble yeah. here. And he's like, I'm about to call the dean and report this. You've got about 10 minutes to tell me why we're not expelling you.
2: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> so as Tess, as Tess said earlier, um, read the room. Yeah. Just read <laughs> the, the room.
0: <laughs> so I just, you know, double down with more jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, so we launched into this very um, contrite and uh, I- intrinsically pathetic Explanation has to this was an incredibly well intended sketch that fell victim to poor line of sight and um, overcompetent physical acting. And we apologized profusely. And um, one of the lecturers who was sitting there in this council of crisis said, well, don't quit your day job because that wasn't funny. I'm like, well, I can and I will. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Name, him, name, and, uh, name no, the lecturer. I, I, will name, I will name the lecturer who was very generous and didn't call the dean, <laughs> and that was the delightful Colin Campbell, uh, uh, who did not deserve any man. of this, but to his credit and in his infinite kindness, he said, it's okay, I get it. I actually once made a speech at, at 21st and it massively backfired <laughs> and I think the grandma cried. So like I get that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you may wish to cut that out to preserve his image. Yes. Uh, but cool He said I, I get it. Man. It can go it can go wrong. I appreciate it. We won't take any further action and I think he actually even like went to the show because mm. he was a very kind oh, man. A uh but to his uh, credit when we um, like, if you you could for a time listen to the online lecture version mm. of this disaster, he actually, like, as a performer, filled in for the home listeners... What on earth had just happened? <laughs> For those of you listening at home, um, I'm just going to describe what's
1: oh, happened here. God. So, that yeah, magical. yeah, that is
0: that is a consummate
2: professional, and right? that is student first. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah we, we yeah, it may have been very different. We may have had to quit our day jobs. <laughs> Incidentally, the day job was being a student, so it was not lucrative. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, we managed we managed to survive the ordeal.
1: Um, I mean, I do I do have to ask Tess if you have any favorite. Classic lawyer jokes. Favourite classic lawyer jokes. I often will just open my sets
3: by saying, I'm surprised it's taken me this long to mention that I'm a lawyer. <laughs> like straight off the bat. Because I feel like all lawyers will just love to tell you that straight off. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it's it. Beautiful. It. I I would love to know if we have got students listening who are thinking about a creative pathway maybe thinking about writing or comedy or something else and, you know, they're thinking about the fact that that might be a risky move or maybe people are telling them, why would you do that? You've spent all this time studying law, just go into law. What would you say to them?
0: It's a really, uh, yeah, it's a a very pertinent question for me. That's something I've wrestled with a lot. Um, There's a lot that's wonderful and beautiful about the legal profession that I miss. Um, I don't think you'll find many more... Opportunity to be opportunities to be immersed in brilliant people than in a law firm or in a legal environment, and that's something that I miss. So that's something that's not to be taken for granted. Um, it's it's really wonderful being um, like immersed in brilliant minds. That's a really special thing, and something that I think is really special about the law. Um, a life outside the law. Um, I think the the key practical bit of advice would be to think carefully about how to make it sustainable. It's really difficult to embark upon a creative pursuit because it's so uncertain. There is no clear pathway, at least initially. Um, It's thinking strategically about how to make it uh, sustainable. Um, And like Tess, that's uh, incredible the way you've made it sustainable. And it means you can continue to do the thing you love um, without fear that it's going to become too difficult or um, that it will will start to potentially become a, a burden. Um, so it took me a while to figure out. So I've worked in restaurants, I've worked in bookstores and um, I did all of that um, and my parents were kind enough to not to remind me that there was, you know, <laughs> six or seven years of uh, tertiary education behind me that weren't being applied at Fonda Mexican Restaurant. Uh, and that's a second clue as to who the other guest was. <laughs> Shout out to <laughs> uh, But, um, yeah, my old firm very kindly gave me a couple of um, three-month gigs as a second to some of their clients. And that opened my eyes to the idea that there are actually ways that you could practically use your law degree. And I know um, organisations like um, Lex Loco exist, Lex Loco, like basically where you can be a contractor for short-term legal gigs. It might be a really good way to get yourself going, pay the the bills, get yourself set up whilst you're pursuing your creative endeavours, which once they catch on, like become self-sustaining. For me, um, I did that initially and then started a production company With a similar um, sort of story, Uh, my business partner, Nick Russell, was at Mallison's. He's an actor. I was at Midas. I was a writer. We said together maybe we can um, make this work. Um, And so uh, we we started doing some corporate work that was still in film and television. It was still script writing, directing, producing, um, lots of sort of um, sports media work for um, places like the AFL, which still allows you to cut your teeth in the field you want to be in sharpen the skills, but also pay the bills. Um, I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But <laughs> sounds like a good slogan for life. So our journey in terms of like making our creative pursuit sustainable because inevitably they are up and down was to have a, a media production company that makes it work. So um, that keeps us busy in the absence of his acting opportunities or my writing opportunities, which are finite and unpredictable. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I can now continue to comfortably pursue um, my passion, um, and it's slowly becoming most of what I do. But, um, yeah, the, the tricky thing was how to make it sustainable. So, um, everyone will have a different idea as to how to do that. But my advice would be that, um, you may quickly become miserable if you do what I did, which was to say, I'm going to quit and I'll have to succeed. If I write every day and, and put myself in a corner, um, and just, and just make it happen, I'll have, I will manifest it. But in, in, Film and television, for better or for worse, like you're not the key decision maker that determines whether your work gets seen. Um, and everyone's going to have an opinion on your work, which might not be favourable. And so you just don't know when you're going to get that first break and you don't know when um, that next opportunity will come. So finding a way to make it sustainable in the meantime um, is is the advice I would, I would give.
2: It's interesting also to hear you both, um, the way that you speak about your careers is almost like um, structured creativity. Yeah. Um, which seems the antithesis of creativity. <laughs> but um, someone I've heard talk about this is um, obviously a good friend of mine, um, John Legend. My um, <laughs> close he...
1: personal friend, John Legend. <laughs> <That's right>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and he works a nine to five. He's, he goes into the studio at nine o'clock and leaves at five. And if he comes, whatever he comes up with in that workday, he'll use or he'll discard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think building that. Um, that structure to be playful and to experiment is, just sounds so important for someone with a bit of a creative bent. Um, Nick, I know in your days when you were, you, were, you were testing the water to see was writing something you could make a real go of and um, I believe you asked your work uh, for some time a day a week
0: was yep, it? That's right. Yeah. Um, can you take us through how, how you approached them and and what you said? In hindsight, greatest way to not endear yourself to your employer, <laughs> but they were <laughs> they were truly amazing about it. Um, when I settled in the commercial litigation group at Minter's, um, I asked whether I could do so four, to- uh, four days a week. They were really amazing about it, and also like as lawyers, they perceived it um, with the framework in place of a formal request for f- flexible working arrangements, so they mm-hmm. understood. What I was asking um, and that that request would be covered by people who wanted to do things like writing once a week, not just um, potentially like managing family or other other responsibilities. Um, And so through 2012, yeah, I I wrote on a Wednesday um, and recorded my time. This, my my time recording goes a long way back because my father is a lawyer and he gave me his timesheet in year 10 <laughs> and said fill it in <laughs> and if you stop for a phone call or if you if you leave the room the clock off clock back on and you'll see how hard it is to really do one full hour's work um, and so that was when I was 16 I'm now I've doubled that um, and still <laughs> uh, record my time less frequently because it is nice sometimes to just like if you feel you're in the zone and you don't need to keep yourself accountable, that's nice too. But if you're not being effective to actually start measuring your time, not the worst trick to have, to have figured out. Um, but, yeah, so they, they supported me, at Admitters, in, in doing that.
2: It sounds like you really used that time extremely effectively. You weren't using this as a day off.
0: No, yeah, it definitely wasn't. Um, and it tended to be, I'm sure you can empathise with this, test that it's like um, – yeah, the day off you've you've already spent the night before, <laughs> so you still find a way to fit in your five days. Uh, notwithstanding that the Wednesday was carved out for writing time, but it meant that by the time you got to your desk Wednesday morning, you're like right, I worked pretty hard Tuesday night to make this happen, and um, there are various sacrifices in play that mean this is really important that I that I really write like mm-hmm. and write as best I can. It's also a great way to combat writer's block to go. Alright, <laughs> I've got to make this Wednesday work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a great part of the journey, I think.
2: Tess, what is it about law, practising law that you love? What keeps you doing this day-to-day? You wouldn't do that if you didn't love it.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. The area I'm in is very people-focused because I'm working for um, project companies and government getting new projects um, either built or decommissioned, and so we're really working with local communities, um, First Nations people It feels just very sort of real, real and tangible. And so I really like that aspect. And when I was at uni, I don't think, I don't know if Monash had a planning and environment subject um, or a native title subject, but um, it's just an area that I sort of then fell into doing my grad rotations and just absolutely loved it. And it really made law, I guess, come alive for me. And so that's what's kept me in it. I think and obviously just what you were saying before, Nick, about the, the people in a law firm as well. It is, yeah, really great culture, great clients. It sounds like I've drunk the Kool-Aid, which <laughs> I have,
1: but it it is true. Is there anything that you want to share with students or recent alumni that you feel like you wish you had like someone had told you? You know, like I know that's such a cliched question, but looking back, what is it that you wish you'd heard someone say or shared with you?
0: I had a thought about that recently, if I can jump in, um, which is about um, picking the type of law you're actually interested in because I think it's, it's probably changed. But when I was going through law school, I think there was a bias towards uh, commercial law. Um, and I think it's because of the clerkship program as it then was, which was in third year, it was almost a bit of peer pressure. It was like, right, everybody seems to be applying for seasonal clerkship, so I better do that. And that's mostly a commercial legal offering to do them. And if you do them, you're actually inadvertently, you may have chosen a little more than you realise mm-hmm. by um, by then like hopefully getting a clerkship and then doing the month and then I'm not sure whether they still do it but then potentially getting a job offer. Um, what started as like a month giving it a go because it seems like that was the important thing to do in third year, you've inadvertently potentially chosen commercial law for your career um, and it's great uh, but it's obviously one of many areas of practice Available and so I, I think yeah it might have been handy to hear just like when everybody starts applying for clerkships think about whether you would be interested in criminal law or um, immigration law or um, all the very you know amazing different facets of the law that you could be playing your trade in um, so that you don't necessarily get caught in the funnel that like takes you to amazing firms but firms in a very particular field
1: I think that's a really great message to have. Um shared with the students. What about you, Tess? Anything that you wish, you know, someone had told you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when I
3: did start doing clerkships, I felt like I had to be, you know, quite serious and really going down like an M&A path or and being really across all these sort of like issues in the business community and that sort of thing where it wasn't really me at all. And I remember my early years in law firms sort of dressing very corporate and really trying to be a particular type of person that just didn't feel, didn't feel authentic. And I think it was actually not until my work introduced this dress for your day policy and I realized, okay, I don't actually have to wear a pencil skirt um, and heels Anymore, And I I feel like that actually had an impact on me just in terms of realising, okay, it's actually fine to be yourself in this corporate environment and obviously you have to do a good job and take your job seriously, but um, it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. That was a good lesson for me and that's been a big factor in being able to sort of bring comedy um, into my time at Ashurst and be very open about it there as well, because um, they, they obviously do really like that side of me as, as an employee, I guess, and, and they facilitate opportunities for me to do that by like hosting the Christmas party or they'll have comedy um, networking nights where they'll get people to perform and, th- and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I guess just uh, realising that um, you can be yourself still, that's something I wish I'd known a lot sooner. Yeah.
2: Uh, Nick and Tess, We'd love to know for people who are interested in following what you're up to, uh, what's next? Tess?
3: Yeah, for sure. So um, the big thing coming up next for me will be my first solo show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival in April next year. I think the working title for the show is Work-Life Balance, so probably very on point with what (laughs) we've been discussing today. Um, but, yeah, it would be great. If anyone wants to come along to that, it will be up on the Comedy Festival website uh, in not too long.
2: Nick, what's what's next for you? What's on the horizon?
0: Good question. If only I knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, So yeah, with writing, it's either writing on other people's shows or developing your own. So um, at the moment, um, going into a two-week development uh, writer's room uh, with the ABC for a, um, a comedy Um Beyond that, we, we write a couple of episodes on the strength of what we've um, together come up with in the room and we submit that back to them and uh, we sincerely hope that becomes a an ABC comedy, um, but that's not up to me. <laughs> uh, and then I've written a screenplay... I wrote it during the first lockdown thinking, oh, we're open and America's closed. Maybe I'll write something with an American star and, like, you know, we can film it in 2020. So it's now we're approaching 2023 and um, we have the production partners in place um, and we have some uh, wonderful cast attached. So now we're into the financing phase of hopefully um, rolling cameras on a a feature film next year.
2: We'll watch with interest. Uh, Nick Musgrove and Tess Birch, thanks so much for joining Life After Law School.
0: Thank you very much for having having us.
1: Green writer Nick Musgrove and comedian Tess Birch. Life After Law School comes to you from the Faculty of Law at Monash University. For law courses, chances to partner with us, and more, head to monash.edu forward slash law.